FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 355 of the podcast that goes snicked. <laughs> We're your host, Jason, Dan, Georgie, and Ian. Dan. What's up? Yes. Hey. And you hear all those voices, you know what time it is. It's Ox Fox time. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Oxfox time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be that kind of episode, guys. <laughs> a little wacky. A little wacky. A little insane. Man, so there's a lot going on. And I, you know. Yeah. Just, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> we got three <laughs> issues of Oxfox. And they're all chocks full of Oxfox chocks. Um, just a lot, a lot of content. So I guess anything, any house cleaning or anything we need to talk about before we jump into the issues. Um, I think I went mental because um, on the front covers is that the the hatching shade I actually thought was the Krakoan language at one point when I looked closely at the cover, and I was clearly clearly wrong. I don't think it's the Krakoan language. You know, like the, you know, like the the hatching shading on the apocalypse one, and on because oh. the one in Hoxfall looks purposeful. And I was like, is that the language? And is it like a secret message? And then I'm like, no, there's no secret message. I'm just going crazy. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, there's no better books to go crazy with than than these. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, we did I go like crazy Sean... on the uncanny books. I think these these books are like bring us back into sanity, right? I feel, yeah. Bill George has gone sassy because he's, he's covering a lot of sinister. <laughs> he's, he's just getting into the role. You have to. You have to commit. If you don't commit, it's not a true performance. You know, the audience can tell. Method podcasting. Yeah, I'm, I dig <laughs> it. I can dig it. Um. Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I I feel I'm I'm invigorated, but also a little daunted by by how much there could be to talk about here. Um, so I think with that said, um, I'll just go ahead and jump in. You don't want to? Yeah, man, I'm excited to talk about this House of X issue four cover because it is the best thing I've seen in a long time. Yes, I love this cover. Um, so, yes, House of X number four, as Georgie alluded to, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Pepe Larraz, colors by Marte Gracia, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Mueller, um, the cover by Larraz and Gracia. This one is a masterpiece. Um, so we have... Finding, I guess, our space goons is the best way to describe them. We have our X-Men strike team. Um, We have Wolverine kind of front and center, jumping at the audience, and he's being shot at. So he's got, like, almost laser bullet holes, like, in his chest and forehead. 
And then, of course, there's blood on his claws. And then behind him, we have Monet just yelling and kicking ass. We have Husk with like some of the coolest rock fists we've seen this side of Benjamin J. Grimm. Um, we have Nightcrawler with a big old sword again. Um, and actually, like, cutting the dude open. And then Jean, who I refuse to call Marvel Girl in the back, um, almost like tele, tele, telepathic shouting at, at bad guys, um, or maybe telekinetic push. And then Cyclops with just a giant sweeping optic ray behind all our characters coming into the optic blast that he's shooting from the front. I, I, yeah, this cover is mwah, primo. I like it a lot. Yeah, if there was ever, like, there's, there's a lot of, like, covers that are team action poses that are fairly standard. So you really have to put out something amazing to stand out. And this stands out so well, not just because I think every every character here is on model, but the color work is outstanding. Mm-hmm. It, it feels impactful and, and energetic. Uh, you know, a lot of the other Hawks and Pox covers have been pretty, like, static covers but this one feels like we're, we're in for a wild ride yeah it definitely sets the uh sets the pace for the issue we're about to do so ian dan what did y'all think about this cover uh composition is on point um i love it i totally read this entire team's entire like history of missions if it was drawn like this every time <laughs> that doesn't really surprise me though you're a sucker for good artists True. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Who is it these days? It's just. I don't know. I can't really find words for it. In a good sense. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> not, not in a bad way. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> All has already been said. Right. <laughs> right. All right. So we open this issue with another quote by Professor X or Xavier Alpha, and this says, no more. And that's going to kind of be the theme of the book as we get into it. Um, so we get a little um, documentation about mutant extinction level events. Uh, we have a nice reference to the 198 back from a post House of M. Um, we got Genosian decimation. Um and then just a Genosian, uh, I guess, fighting before that. Uh, you know, kind of casually tossing words around, like genocide and, you know, the Sentinel and the Trash stuff and all that, all that stuff. Um, just kind of a brief little rundown of how things have gone pretty badly for Mutant Dumb. Um, then we start off in Pacoa, current day. And so remember when we left off, we had a strike team go out to the space station orbiting the sun that had like a big mother master mold sentinel head that was going to like basically lead to the invention of Nimrod. And so our X-Men team proactively went after that, but they all blew up in space or so we thought. And so we kind of go back to, I guess, mission control center, um, where Xavier Magneto, um, I was really happy to see Trinary show up. Um, Yep. And then who? Oh, who's that with her? 
in the red there. I forget. We also have Storm and one of the cuckoos. Sorry for that plane noise. Yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, something just launched into space. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they're there and they get this really... I don't know what the, uh, the Krakoan-like magic telepathic pond is doing, but that's how they get their communication. And so you get this like 3D water image of Gene like yelling for help. And of course, when their space shuttle blew up, Gene was able, as you know, maybe predicted, was able to kind of save everybody. But it's pretty rough going. Um, you know, some people were pretty hurt. Uh, Cyclops has Angel. Wolverine's trying to heal himself back together, but they know they gotta like keep going, right? And uh, Nightcrawler's like, "I'm fine," so he teleports everyone to the location. So they're basically going to look for the uh, uh, the lock, like holds that are like docking the Sentinel head, and try to undo them all and release the head from the station, therefore kind of rendering everything defunct. So Cyclops goes one, Wolverine goes to one, Mystique, Nightcrawler, and, you know, Jean uh, with Monet, they decide they need to stay behind and kind of serve as, I don't know, telephone, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, basically. Which, and there's really, I guess we'll talk about more at the end, but kind of really the only disappointing aspect of this book maybe was... Well, it makes sense with her power set. I'm not sure it makes sense with her person. Regine just kind of be like, oh, I'm hurt. I'm going to sit here. Um, but anyway, I guess we, we can talk about more about that maybe at the end. But um, yeah, so we go back to the, the actual station. And um, Omega Sentinel and this doctor are talking. She's just lost her husband uh, because he blew up everything to blow up the X-Men, or so we thought. And now they realize that it didn't really work. And the Omega Sentinel kind of passively uh, makes the Doctor feel like, you know, kind of regain her passion. That, like, she has to, like, you know, step up and take command and save the space station and, and save the Sentinel. So she does. She really steps up. We see that our X-Men are about 50% successful at this point. They've released two of the, the sides of the head. Um and we see Wolverine had just sliced through some AIM soldiers um, and some nice purple shading. I actually really love this panel because we have my two favorite X-Men and just one and two panels show how they tackle problems differently. <laughs> so so both of them have accomplished their mission and released their piece of the Sentinel head. Wolverine is running out of the room with just a massive pile of bloody AIM agents. And running like with this purple shade, like almost into the shadow, right? And then Nightcrawler is running out of the room, almost into like the light. And he, his two doctors are just tied up. And I, I don't know, it's very subtle. Not much words on the on the page or on the two panels. It just says section four, section two, you know, done. But I don't know. I, I thought for for being such a fan of Wolverine and Nightcrawler is a really cool dichotomy of how they operate. Um, yeah, that's a great observation. I, I hadn't picked up on that uh, previously, but uh, yes, that's nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so what else? Uh, going back to the base, Jean's kind of starting to freak out. 
because things are not going so hot. Um, I saw a lot of hula boo about this online, but I guess Monet still has some of her. Uh, uh, what's the the spiny her, her brother? Penance. Penance. Yeah. Um, and her, and so she kind of goes nuts and and saves Jean. Uh, Cyclops is continuing to fight through to his area. Mystique goes to her area, but before she can pull the lever, she's basically jettisoned out into space in a beautifully grotesque panel of her, like, almost kind of being pulled apart, how the vacuum of space kind of affects her specific biology and anatomy. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool panel. Um, so they, the doctor has saved one side of the head, and... Um, She's got, she kind of gets this grin, kind of starting to get drunk with her power a little bit. Um, so Jean's really worried. Uh, she was able to kind of hide herself uh, from from the bad guys. And Xavier's very coldly says, do whatever it takes. And so you kind of know, okay, so we had like the cliffhanger last time where they quote-unquote died. And we knew they wouldn't. But things are starting to kind of turn in a dark direction again anyway. Um yeah, Cyclops, so everyone's kind of trying to figure out how to get to the last piece of the head. And basically they decide that the best way to do that is for Nightcrawler to teleport Wolverine out into space and do it externally with his claws because Master Mother Mold is starting to come online with an urn, <laughs> like a Frankenstein-type growl. Um, and, you know, for all kind of the, the shit Cyclops gets, I really love this panel, and it really feels like Cyclops, where he is like, okay, yeah, go. But then he, like, you can't see his eyes, but you can almost see his eyes, like, closing as he put leans against the glass, almost in just abject defeatism, like, I don't want to ask you guys to do this, but I have to. And that, to me, is a Cyclops I, I know and love. The one... He's willing to make the hard decisions, but doesn't necessarily pack a lot of attitude about it. <laughs> and so, so that felt really true to me. Um, and so, Nightcrawler and uh, Wolverine have a nice little conversation um, about, you know, I guess matters of the soul or whatever. And Nightcrawler, this was the highlight for me of the issue. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, Nightcrawler very just kind of at the end says, you know. When you wait from this earthly slumber, my friend, look for me. I will be right there waiting for you. Um, <laughs> sorry, probably ruined the moment. But um, but yeah, so basically he bamps. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that the important part. It says radiant and with open arms. And he kind of bamps them to their doom, which is gorgeously illustrated. Um, you know, not having a healing factor, he kind of starts to burn up like as soon as they land. Wolverine has a little bit of time um, and is able to kind of use his claws to hack through the construct holding the Sentinel together and is able to do it kind of as it blows up um, and then the head kind of floats into the sun and Wolverine kind of goes with it, right? Um, And then, again, Cyclops kind of, you know, acknowledging they maybe have had a troubled past together still is like bravest man I know. Gene told the professor that's not good enough because the scientist may have lost her giant robot head, but she's not given up. And so she gives a big jarn as she shoots Cyclops in the back with the Omega Sentinel. 
And then the doctor comes in, and the last thing we see from Scott's perspective, very cool panel of the doctor pointing the gun reflected in his visor. And then we see kind of his head explode, um, fading into Gene yelling no, and they're all gone. And the Sentinels that were sent for a long time ago finally start showing up, and they're going to get Gene, but she tries to escape, but they get her. Um, and we see Xavier crying in the water with a no more. And then we get some kind of stylized, like almost news clipping looking graphics of some things from the past and some panels from this story. And then it kind of fades into a very east of west looking um, black page with a giant last panel of Xavier crying and then a big no more in big white letters. And that's the issue. Um, Whew. That was that was an epic re- recap. You <laughs> you went and you did not stop. It was like you didn't even take a breath. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's just it was quite a comic. Um, so I'm gonna I did I did say a lot. So I'm just gonna pause and let you guys kind of take over for a minute. <laughs> and do you want to expound upon the artwork here? Um how how to even um articulate how beautifully it's all captured um i don't think hickman needs to they they could have taken the dialogue away from um kurt and and logan on that final moment before they teleport out and it would still have the same emotional impact because visually it is just astounding like um how the ideas that Hickman have brought together, like a like a fluid unison cerebro, has been brought to life in such a vivid way, and we're we're seeing imagery that is reminiscent of X Men, but feels fresh and new. And again, MVP is Gracia with the color work is just astounding. The use of um, the color of the sun to like highlight all their action in every shade of it is just brilliant, and the fact that I'm going to say his name. Don't get upset, Georgie. The fact that it is as murder-filled as a Rosenberg issue, but actually has <laughs> impact. I mean, and, it's very different. A whole oh, different yeah. kind of storytelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, I saw online that a lot of people criticised people who liked this issue because he kills everyone off, just like Rosenberg loved to kill. But everyone hated the Rosenberg stuff. But the, the difference is, is the ability to write and um, the pathos that... <laughs> Um, that that is that is given here, like um, Monet saying "do better" is is such a Monet thing to say before she goes and sacrifices herself to save Jean. Um, like I I generally feel it is unfortunate that Angel and Husk, um, the the forever silent sacrificed, <laughs> never really do anything mm. characters. A con, a, 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 a sidelined by death immediately, but um, visually, it just it's some it truly is something else. Like this is this is uh, um, up there with dogma, um, like creating worlds that you know exist but in a different lens. Like four before dogma, four four had a specific tone, and like his art completely redefined what. Asgard should be, and I feel like that's what's happening here with um, 
with the Raz that I feel like they're redefining what the X-Men should look like. And I think it's great. That's why it's such a interesting looking and the dialogue is brilliant and it's it's emotional and I generally thought they were all spoilers, I generally thought they were all gone. Yeah, it did it. feel like maybe this is a timeline where where they were gone, fully gone. But no, I, gen- know, I generally up, I generally believed that this was it. Mm-hmm. That what we're what we're going to see the the books are all like because like Hickman loves to take the piss out of people so the book the books that were solicited were all just lies and then because <laughs> it is it was written in such a way where I generally thought that this may be them gone forever mm. and that's powerful writing it was it was great writing I mean we've spoken a number of times of. How Hickman can write different voices for different people, you know, like a writer should be able to. And you know, you, you already hit the hit this so hard already, but this is sacrifice for a purpose. Like there's there's a team effort to to do. They know it's a suicide mission. And they're going in to do it. Where Rosenberg stuff is like, oh, I'm just sitting on a bench, and then suddenly I'm dead for no reason. Um, <laughs> you know, it was weird. Like, it was just. Death to kill the characters, where this is characters actively sacrificing themselves for a goal, which is very and different. He, he used he uses um, um, the history of the characters within the context of who is killed in such a way, and like with Kurt and Logan's being uh, is their def- the highlight. Their entire like best friend history is all on that one page. Yeah. Um, and it just, it was just, it's just, it is generally beautiful, like generally beautiful to read that panel, those panels. Sure. Um, like I said, the, um, the friendship between the two of them, for someone that's never read the comics and didn't really know that Nightcrawler and Wolverine even spoke much, never mind actually, <laughs> when, it was perfectly laid out in that page. And I knew that they meant something to each other, for lack of better words. There you go. Awesome. I also want to point out there's a number of wonderful panels that sort of bleed into each other, that like mirror each other. Uh, for example, when Scott's visor is blown up, it's right next to Gene. Uh, or we see when Gene's telepathically talking to people, we see both her and like the water formation next to her, like e- e- echoing. I-, I love how he's able to show like both both uh, viewpoints of, of the story, like both parts, both parties in the same panel and not... I don't know. It just it felt unique in in the way that those were like bleeding into each other. Yes. No, it is visually just stunning. Um. It did leave me wondering though, because like I feel like for when I was reading it, this is where they've really started to dial up the story and what's happening. And on one hand, I'm happy and excited to see what's going on. But on the other hand, I'm sort of I don't know, scared, I guess. Because while this is amping up and being something amazing, and I believe it will continue to be until it finishes, I'm worried that I won't be able to read something as good as this afterwards. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the eternal comic book problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, you've you've hit you. you welcome to that wall. Um, <laughs> me and George welcome to the suffering wall. tree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So me and George smashed into that wall recently with Excalibur when Alan Davis left. Yeah. Oh. Is it just like a depression returns for you? Yeah. It gets worse. Once, worse. once you've once you've had the drug of a good comic, it's hard to uh, have a substitute. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Well, I would say one one thing that I was really impressed with is because we've had the um, you know, we've had the knowledge of like kind of Krakoan stuff going on, the sinister cloning and stuff like that. So I didn't really think like this was it, it, but even knowing that the story was so powerful that it did not take away an ounce of what these deaths meant to this story, to this place in X-Men history. Um, like even knowing they might show up again or they might not in this, in the rest of house of X or powers of X, you know, ignoring the fact that we, that we've already read the two issues past this. When I put this down, I was just like, Whoa, <laughs> like, what did I just read? And you need to go potty again? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey well, I am, I, you don't understand, guys. I'm ecstatic that he's like asking to go and not just. Oh, no, it's. Peeing it's wherever. Cool. <laughs> you no, know, you're talking about hitting that wall. You just like you were, you were going and then you hit that potty wall and now it's break right. time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but no, I mean, so I I think, like, we've had enough hints to know that this would not be the end. I didn't know necessarily how it wouldn't be the end until we get to the other issues. But but there's nothing, though, that robs this issue of is just, just big impact. I mean, it explodes kind of into your brain and, and doesn't really let go until until you do actually get to the next issue. So I I just I was really, really impressed by the fact that because sometimes, you know, when you know something's going to be at least partially undone, it can really take meaning away from that story. And I just I didn't get any of that with this. Agreed. The only thing I have a criticism for is the use of Jean Grey. Yeah. Yep. Because she is to be fair like after red i was hoping that i feel like once she got put back in that costume she's also gone back to the i need to be saved um <laughs> cliche and it kind of annoys me you know what it reminded me of what? x-men the original animated cartoon oh god well she's yeah. useless she rolls over every five minutes yes yeah <laughs> and the thing is it's not just red where she was like an adult and capable uh when when um morrison was writing she wasn't like the great leader but she was a capable and Even... like full 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 member of the x team like she could use her powers she had been trained she was formidable here she's just like i'm gonna hide in the corner and kind of help to talk but my telekinesis i'm not even gonna like try to attempt to use which is weird yeah it's bizarre makes you think yeah. it's not Oh no, am I going to say that out loud? I had, a thing. <laughs> I had a thing on Twitter where I was going off about this and someone said, well, it's, it's Kid Gene. I'm like, yeah, why'd they make it Kid Gene? And they're like, well, no, I guess you didn't read comics before this, but the Kid X-Men are here. And I was like, oh, oh, this guy doesn't understand. Oh, <laughs> that's not Kid Gene anymore. She went back. He was right, like, oh. Kid Gene was like, Kid Gene had like Phoenix powers when she didn't have the Phoenix. Kid yes, Jean. yes, yeah. Right. Overpowered her to boogery. Um, well, yeah. um, I want to put a pin on this kind of because I, I guess we'll just have to acknowledge that we've already read the other, other two and maybe talk about some things. 
Do we think that this is a different gene maturity-wise than maybe the rest of our teammates? It would make I, sense for Xavier to have kept like younger gene DNA because that's the uh, gene he was into. <laughs> oh gosh, that's not <laughs> not entirely what I was going for, but that does actually make a lot of sense. Um, I think. I think. He, I just wonder if maybe if she was at a different stage of resurrection than I the rest he, of her he team. Them, uh, maybe he them at a different point. The the X Men he wants, not who they are. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. I mean, that's why Scott is a uh, pre-AVX, just I'm a great leader guy. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Okay. Interesting. Interesting thoughts. I, I think we have not even scratched the surface, and even when we get to the other two issues we're going to talk about, we'll still have not scratched the surface of all the machinations that this Xavier has going on. So... I think there's plenty of wiggle room for interpretation, wild, crazy theories. Anybody? It's not the maker. He's not the maker. <laughs> right. He's the maker in absolute carnage. He can't be in two places at once. He's not Wolverine. Yeah. Well, he's also in Future <laughs> Foundation, so it would be three places. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, any other comments before we put a cat? I don't really know what else to say other than just I loved it so much. Yeah, um, really standout issue. We mark it. All right. Well, I'm gonna go full six out of six claws for me. What about you guys? I agree. Six out of six. Aye, same here. Ooh. Awesome. Yep. All around. That was uh, stunning. All right. Very cool. Okay. Well, next, let's move on to Powers of X number four. Powers of X, number four. Writer Jonathan Hickman, artist R.B. Silva, color artist Marte Gracia, letter VCs Clayton Cowles, and design Tom Muller. We have color, uh, sorry, cover artist R.B. Silva and Marte Gracia. And on this cover, we've got uh, Professor X and his black leotard uh, psychically reaching out to the reader with a bunch of uh, sort of like those old corner piece headshots of all the characters who kind of feature and it's all in front of a purpley background uh, to me this was like the previous uh house of x w- was a standout cover and this is back to really like static boring uh, I, I don't know just like throw the, throw throw them on like a, a blank piece of paper and we're done uh kind of cover <laughs> this is really kind of boring to me some of the faces remind me of liefeld it freaks me out <laughs> oh wow! Oh yeah, like the cuckoos. Yep. I'm not a massive, I am not a fan of this. I don't like. I just it's kind of bland. Feels like a, an alternative pinup cover that you'd never buy. <laughs> you know, there's always like when they release like five covers, and there's always one where you're like, yeah, that's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, then. Well, uh, we jump in. Oh, wait, wait. Got... Oh. What did Ian think of the cover? Oh, yeah. Hi, Ian. Uh, All right. I like it a little bit, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, then. Fair enough. 
You know, Dan and I just recorded uh, some Excalibur stuff, and we were like, oh, yeah, the cover is the best part of this issue. This issue of the cover is definitely not the best part. This is no. like, yep. let's just move on past it. So we start off with another quote from Professor Xavier. I fear our needs will far outlast our desires. We have many hard choices ahead of us. And this is one of their hard choices, I guess, is Professor X and Magneto coming to uh, Sinister's Island on uh, X-Men Year One. And, you know, Sinister has all the clones or however you want to. I'm not even really sure how, the, how this all works. Are they clones? Are they the same person? It's really kind of right. confusing. I'm confused. Right. So Hickman's retconning stuff. Is this? Has he just decided to retcon uh, Gillen's uncanny X-Men Sinister into being just the, the only Sinister idea that ever existed? The, the fact that he has like a million and he's like a English gentleman. And... Has a kingdom because I'm sure Sinister before that comic wasn't like that. <laughs> right. Pretty sure he was like creepy. But no, I, I won't lie. Um, I have a really hard time keeping up with Sinister's like continuity timeline. You know, between the different Sinisters and Miss Sinister and and how it all ties together. I mean, yeah, I don't really know to be honest. Um, so I'll kind of take, take whatever Georgie tells me. <laughs> yeah, you do what I say. That's right. <laughs> uh, to me, it felt like he was marrying the, the Gillen in with the previous Sinister. Uh, in that, like, maybe he had his own Sinister civilization on the side, but what we saw was something else. It's it's just, yeah. uh, I don't know if anything makes sense. It's Sinister. Just go with it, right? Right. I do like the fact that he explains the cake. That was, yes, that was, that was a major highlight for me. Explain why he has a cake. Quite a funny issue. Yeah, uh, as, as they join in, uh, rather as they land on this island, and there's a guard who, of course, is a, a sinister, and he remarks on how wonderful Magneto's cape is, and there's like a fun little you know back and forth between the two, uh, until uh, Professor X and Magneto are, are led into like the the chamber of the castle where we have who we think might be. Uh, the, the proper sinister waiting to hear them at court. Um, he, he he once again remarks, this new sinister remarks on Magneto's wonderful cape, why he doesn't have one, when his <laughs> assistant's like, yes, I always thought you should have had one. And sinister says, you thought so? Then why don't I have one? Execute this man. And then there's this gruesome scene of just like all these blades coming down. <laughs> and you see like an arm like being pulled apart. It's It's like... It's all in shadow in the foreground, but it, it was really like gruesome, <laughs> especially because the sound effects are just chop, chop, chop. Sinister's become the Queen of Hearts. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yes. I don't know how head, I yeah. missed that connection. Yeah. Well, it makes wow. sense. So he goes to hear uh, Magneto and Professor X's uh, offer. And uh, they're like, you know, you need to. We, you're collecting all this uh, DNA of the world. We'd like you to continue to do so, but prioritize prioritize mutant DNA. We'll even help you find like other mutant DNA you might have had trouble with. And this sinister is like, well, I don't really care about mutants. And then, bam, he's shot, and the real sinister shows up, who has a cape, his gorgeous like buttressed, <laughs> flowing like shreds of a fabric cape uh, that look just wonderful. He's like, I'm the mutant sinister, so of course I already have a cape. It's it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful back and forth. 
And uh, after he says that, Magneto's like, yeah, I can see that. Like, where, where's... If, if, if in the Excalibur book, if Nightcrawler is like a fashion icon in the Hickman universe, then Magneto and Sinister are like the fashion icons. Right, right, right. <laughs> I like I to love- think that um, when they saw Magneto, he just quickly made a key, killed the other one, and then just started peeking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally thought that that he was back there, like sewing this together. Um, <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready." I love that his mutant powers overthrowing tyrants and being absolutely fabulous. <laughs> yes, Queen. Exactly. <laughs> so Xavier says, uh, uh, "This sinister is sort of into the idea." And Xavier's like, all right, well, what I'm going to have you do is do what I want you to do. Forget we had this conversation until, like, you know, however many years down the line where I want you to remember this conversation. And you'll continue to do what we want you to do. And uh, Sinister is fabulous and flamboyant and fun and cruel. He is like the like the, the scene-chomping, hammy villain from, like, a, an old Batman uh, episode. It's just so wonderful. But uh, we get done with that, and, and we move on over to some more of the design pages where we hear some sinister secrets. <laughs> I love this. These are great because it's just like Sinister has these secrets, and you have to read and try to, f- try to figure out what the context is, what he's talking about, and what the answers are. Some of them we do have answers. Like we know um, where he got some of his mutant gene from, and that was from John Proudstar. Or we know um, he's talking about a word that's hardly ever spoken, and it's Inferno. So out of the ten, we're given answers to two. But there were some kind of confounding sinister secrets here. Did you guys have any standouts, or were you just confused by all of these? Um, I feel like there's one about Miss Sinister. I can't remember which one it was. Um, where it says about like um, I can't remember. One of them felt like it was about um, Miss Sinister, like existing, because there's another right. sinister person walking around. Um, but I was just like, I can kind of see some of these, but it just feels more like um, so like. I'm intrigued to see what Sinister Secret 10 has in store for us all. Right. Is it... I feel like it's Moira. It, it does come off that way to me. Um, it might be Moira, and she doesn't have multiple multiple lives, and it's all a bullshit joke. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but, this is all, all... Hawks Fox is all a fever dream. It's all it's all sinister's like bullshit jokes that he can have like mutants on an island he can experiment on forever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> so you gotta make that be a good play. Be interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it says the brainwashed mutant sinister. So does that mean that he knows or doesn't know? I think to me this really ties into does Professor X like like how much of the X Men's lives before he even got to them, was completely orchestrated. 
you know, by him. Mm-hmm. You know, did, mm-hmm. are the Summers brothers, like, did their parents die because of Xavier? Did he send, make sure they got sent to the right orphanage so that he can recruit them later? But knowing that they'd be tainted by sin, like, it's just, there's a whole lot going on with this. A lot of questions. Um, Definitely. The one that stuck out for me was like, you thought there was, originally you thought there were two Summers brothers, and then there was a third. But what if there's more? Right. Like, I don't know if we need more of this. Like, this is not the rabbit hole I want you to dive into, <laughs> but it was, that was a surprise. Because yeah, obviously there's a direct reference to the whole first horseman. Right. Um, and I want a summer sister, goddammit. It could be. Screw these brothers. Let's have a natural one. So what do you think what do you think on number six? I think that's one I had the biggest question about, about the destroyed samples being switched out beforehand. Hmm. I, I don't know. That that ties into the idea that well, what we're about to see. Oh, book, okay. Yeah, I maybe. Feel. Okay. So that's how he was able to recover the samples. Because, oh, and also didn't, um, wasn't there a story where Sinister's initial library was kind of like destroyed? Okay, never mind. Yeah, 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 there was. my own question. Okay, cool. All right. And also, and also on the Mutant Island, did he just like, did Sinister Secret 5 basically mean, make it sound like Logan, Gene, and Scott just have a open relationship with each other. <laughs> no, I think you're saying that, that Scott can't get mad because he's banging Emma. Yeah. Right. I just yeah. like the idea that all four oh. of them are just in a relationship. <laughs> right. Just like one big poly family. Right. I like yeah. he makes it sound like an episode of Survivor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> here's these alliances or big brother. Like, yo, look at all the drama on Mutant Island. <laughs> you know, tomorrow on CBS. <laughs> It does feel like that. But then we actually move on to uh, an island, Cocoon Island, uh, the X-Men uh, months ago, where we have Professor X landing with Doug Locke. And um, I got to say, this is some of the best artwork from this issue. I love every panel with Doug in it. I, I feel like the uh, the Warlock arm is, is colored so well. I love how the the, the like sun, sunrise or sunset is, is coloring everything that's happening. I really appreciate the like the pastels and faded look of the forest. It's it's a, a gorgeous couple of pages here. I agree. Uh, do we want to talk about wardrobe now or save that for later? To be honest, I'm concerned with that wardrobe choice because <laughs> the last time I saw that one, yeah, that time I saw that wardrobe choice, his twin sister had it. Yeah, <laughs> and right. was murdering mutants. So are we supposed to assume this is before that, or is it a is it a, a visual cue? Um, I don't know. There was a heavy hint at this idea of like maybe the wrong mutant is put in the wrong body. Mm. Oh, we don't know yet. Hmm. Okay. So Professor X uh, lets Doug know that he's been... It's taken him a while, but he's made uh, telepathic communication with the island possible, but it's very simple. And he wants Doug to help develop a language and talk to the the island so that 
and make a kind of translation program so that mutants can actively communicate with the island without Doug being the intermediary. And I love this bit of dialogue where all that, that Xavier is getting from the island is like, oh. island sad, Xavier friend, we friends together. And then Doug expounds upon the history and why he's sad and how there, used to, there was this battle previously where Apocalypse came with his, his four horsemen to vanquish these evil people, but it meant that Kokoa lost his other half. And just the way this is phrased and and how beautifully gorgeous and devastatingly like deadly Apocalypse looks in these these panels. Uh, I, I will not say that this issue is a better piece of artwork, like visual artwork, than what we just went through, but this is still gorgeous. I it's hard because not to like take the cat out of the bag, but this may get the same score from me because of different reasons. Sure. But, um, the Doug stuff and the artistic intent here is just as powerful, if not more expressive, than the previous the mm-hmm. Fox. Um, and I just, I just adore that Doug has been given this, uh, essentially, this central role in creating this entire society, and it's done with such character, and like him being like a nice, he, him being the student to Xavier's teacher. And still being a little bit like more clued up than Xavier. Sure. Yeah. It's... But I also love he gets done with the story, this big old epic story. He's like, or something like that. Told <laughs> <laughs> so well. And I love that so many other, you know, not just fans, but writers are like, Doug Ramsey, what he can, he can help people talk. That's not a fighting power. How am I supposed to use that? And they just throw him aside where Hickman's like, no, uh, you got to think bigger. You think more like differently in how how central he's made Doug, like like Dan just said, is is really inspiring to just the overall storytelling. It helps helps me as a reader to expand my own imagination, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And after you know, Doug makes uh, contact with Kokoa, uh Xavier's like, You got a year, get get this done, and Doug's like, All right, I'm in. And Xavier takes off. And we see uh, uh, a diagram of the Cohen system of translation, which is interesting. Uh, we got some Black Tom Cassidy, so I, we still haven't seen him, but I guess he's still treat people. Yep, probably. Probably. And then we move into the future, X Men: The Year One Thousand, where um, we've got these elders talking to the Phalanx. And they've given the flanks like a piece of equipment which they've absorbed. And it's revealed that they implanted this elder's personality into that piece of equipment. And once it was absorbed, then this elder was essentially absorbed into the flanks. And after that happens, I'm not certain if they've implanted some sort of like code in, into the flanks that's making them disappear or like alter or change, or if that's just them like naturally combining or something but it uh it was interesting do, do you guys what do you guys think is happening here are, are do the elders have a sinister purpose to reorganize the flanks or is this just the flanks taking the information from these elders and like repurposing it well it makes it sound like they're uh, it's subterfuge like they're creating things for them to assimilate without being assimilated themselves mm-hmm. um and this is where the book loses a mark for me because i think it's far mm-hmm. too cryptic it is and, 
feels far too it'll have a purpose but at the moment it's so cryptic and so far removed from everything else thematically it isn't but like narratively it is and i feel like it, it, it says a lot no it says little but says a, it has a lot of dialogue right um, <laughs> um, not saying that it's a bad thing but i feel like much like you it is slightly confusing whether the phalanx just randomly turned into this giant orb for a reason, or they've done it to them. Um, but it just felt a bit sinister that the the the, the librarians um, were creating some sort of device to make sure they don't get... They can get all the benefits of being with the phalanx, but none of the repercussions. Right. Oh, is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so what they tested was if they put their personality in this device and the flanks absorb it, will that personality of me, like will that copy of me, then reappear in the flanks? So, so there's a piece of them from being, they'll be mentally assimilated but not physically assimilated. Because what we gathered before is the phalanx as they absorb people, as people ascend, those people kind of cease to exist. So they're trying to get the best of both worlds. Is that what? Well, That's what maybe. I think they're like. testing to know if, if their one technology will fit into the other. Okay. Like if they can if they can take something like corporeal and organic, digitize it, and upload it and see if it still remains. And so that test right. has been okay. successful. Which okay. leads Makes to them being like, We've got our mutant history of DNA and if we digitize it and then upload it into the flanks, then it will be, you know, saved for all time or it'll be up there to I don't start a revolution. I'll, not... I'll recreate the mutant race. Right. Interesting. Okay. I like Stay the ideas. Out. Out. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been enjoying the Phalanx part and the mystery of it. I I would lie if I said I was really following it very well. <laughs> it's been the least like uh, explained portion of, of all these books, but with just three issues left. Uh, I feel like it's it's got to start to ramp up. It'll be Myra. It'll it'll be Myra inside a ball or something, and she'll be absorbed, and then she'll die, and then we'll get Myra Life Eleven. Um, and she'll be like, "Oh, I was a phalanx." And that's how she'll wake up. <laughs> what about you, Ian? How did you feel about it? You've been quiet. Everything. I enjoyed everything, and then when it got to the future, future, I just. I just went off the assumption, like the um, phalanx did, did basically what it said about before in I can't remember which issue, which was how it evolved, and as it evolves, it becomes like bigger and just one solid consciousness. I just assumed it was doing that because it finally reached the point where it could. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay. But that is a pure stab in the dark because I have no idea what was actually going on. All we can agree on is it's so unbelievably unclear that not, <laughs> not, one, of, not one of us can decide on what it is. But visually stunning, I thought. Oh, yeah. yeah everyone, everyone agrees. It looks stunning. It's like one of those things where you go to see an art film and no one knows, but it's just you <laughs> like running in the field. But it's really lovely. And you're like, yeah, it looks nice. Right. So you're all waiting to see which person is going to say they don't understand it first. What did you think of that movie? That was awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm feeling I'm this. Gonna order a beer. What do you want? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you think happened at the end there? Oh, oh, oh wait. I gotta pay out. Okay. Um, <laughs> and dancing around the fact that, that no one understands anything. Right. 
I have a feeling the final issue of Powers of X is going to be all. It's just going to be you know ninety percent just this. Could be. Could be. Miller is if that's the last okay. time we see them. But it would be Dan. It would be interesting if they are uploading Moira's like consciousness into there somehow, then killing her. So when she's reborn in life, like eleven, she has like the knowledge of the full entire universe. Yeah. That the flanks have conquered. Yeah, she has all the knowledge of that, and therefore can save the mutant race. Right. Okay. Or maybe the phalanx has wormhole time traveling abilities, and they and take it all back to the front. I don't know. Um, so I don't. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I don't really want to get muddled into it. But. So I'm assuming that the the Doug we see in X one, well, you know, it says months ago, but I'm assuming like this is pre his initial death. Or no, um, no, 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 he was resurrected in Necrotia. Oh, um, and he Jim Sub um, wrote him in the New Mutants. Then he. Was in New X Factor by Peter David for a little bit with Warlock. Right, right, right. And, he's, um, yeah. and, and then he someone made him addicted. Yeah, and then someone yeah. made him addicted with the internet. That was Tom Taylor. Yeah. Um, or no, not Tom. Uh, Charles Soule. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's got Warlock like on his arm, so that makes him after the New Mutants series, right? Yeah, after New Mutants by Rosenberg. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So this X1 is not as far back as the first. Oh, that was X0. Never mind. Oh, right, exactly. I'm so sorry. I I got my uh, exponents mixed up. Never mind. So this is current. This, this story is not that far before where we are right now. Never exactly. Mind. Okay, yeah. I was thinking it was like years ago. Like they were saying months comic book time, but mm-hmm. covering years of like comic stories, but that's not true. So forget my question. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to send you to remedial calculus. Yeah, That's sorry. Right, right, yeah. Just scratch it from the record. <laughs> um, I'm so thankful that I don't know all these things that I can just read it. And <laughs> right? Yeah. That actually might be. Yeah, it's a benefit. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. All, all right. right. Well. Okay. Uh, why don't we rate this and then I have uh, a little thing. We'll see if, if yeah. it makes the cut or maybe if it's not funny then we just cut out of the episode. But uh, <laughs> What do you guys want to rate this? Um, I'm going to give it a high five literally and a high five as a mark as well. High five. Um, um, I would give it a five and a half. There was a lot to enjoy but I was just left puzzled at the end. Yeah, I'm in the same place. I'm almost to a six, but there were a couple of things that made me scratch my head a little too hard. Um, but gosh, the art on it is so wonderful. Um, I'm going to be five out of six claws, but I could I could easily be tipped to six. Just the tip. Um, yeah. I... Because <laughs> I, uh, I enjoyed I'm... the sinister part so much. So did I. I'm going to go six out of six. I'm a guy who likes the something a little bit more nebulous in terms of like, the, like the future tip. storytelling. What's that, Dan? You like the tip, is what you're saying. 
Oh, for sure. <laughs> you don't like the tip, you're not going to like the rest. But yeah, I like I like the mystery. Yeah, I like the mystery of it. It's 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 confusing, but in my head, it's it's confusing in a imaginary, imaginative, like fun way. Uh, so I can I can kind of I wouldn't say forgive it, but like embrace it in in that sense. Yeah, no, fair enough. I think maybe the difference between how we're reading it is for me. There can be things that are like mysterious, but really whet your appetite. I'm right. almost, I'm almost so confused by this that I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll see what happens. But I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not like, I mean, other than the artwork, I'm not like anxious for the next chapter of Phalanx stuff. Um, and I guess maybe that's just a subtle difference in why I'm more I've... towards the five and less towards the six. Whereas it sounds like you're a little more like, okay, I'm not quite sure, but I'm excited and anxious to see it play out. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Um, I've, cool. I've I've read too much East of West to care for that much cryptic. Uh, <laughs> noise. Uh, well, we I'm not a big Phalanx fan, so I'm I'm turned off. Uh, unfortunately, I like the work. Get some readers. As long as, oh my gosh, what if, uh, what if Powers of X Six is a whole chapter of that, and they all start talking like Warlock? Oh no, friend self. <laughs> <laughs> more more self ten doesn't like more self six. Right. Yeah. Friend self Moira. Yeah. History dot execute dot run. <laughs> um yeah. Oh man, what if powers of X is all in code? <laughs> <laughs> what if what if yeah, no, let's go. Let's move on. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Georgie has the trick for us. What's uh what's I have some Snickcast secrets. Secrets. <clears throat> so I'll read these out, and then we'll try to see who's who. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. what, what the secret is here. <clears throat> they say the most erogenous zone is the brain. If that's the case, this podcasting partner should have been a porn star. The rumor mill has it that his stamina under the covers is even greater than his wordplay. <laughs> what? I want to say that just for the fun of it. <laughs> well, you are, yeah, you are the boyfriend, so I suppose there's evidence. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll read them all out, and then you guys can maybe guess. Uh, so that's number one. <clears throat> number two is probably a little bit easier to guess. He's the best there is at what he does, and what he does is routinely rock a mic and support a wonderful family. His wife rates him six out of six claws. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but there are rumors of graft and nepotism amongst the ratings board. <laughs> Jason. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> All right, who's next? All right. Models may be his hobby, but he's also a model student and model boyfriend. He's a la mode. He's the bee's knees. He's the cat's pajamas. Prepare for a swooning. He's the podcast's new heartthrob. Oh, nice. Nice. Yay. <laughs> <Not> red. Oh. <laughs> uh, and then awesome. finally, he works in entertainment, but word on the street is he also likes to entertain the ladies. 
you can schedule your 90-minute session with this bro <laughs> through his agent. Uh, but just not the white girls, right, Georgie? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that's, wow. that's, that's the real secret. That's the real secret. <laughs> and that was Snickcast Secret. I, I think we probably all know awesome. who's who. Yeah, yeah, that was great. That was awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it. I was a little worried for a minute. No way. We got a Conan reference and just solid gold. So it's a win-win. <laughs> nice. Very good. Thank you for doing that, Georgie. That was great. No, no, no problem. I thought it was like a, a great premise to have some fun with the with, with the host here. So Yeah. Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what the title of the episode is gonna be too. <laughs> All right, well, it's time for the penultimate issue of House of X. That would be number five. Um, yeah, so I think, Dan, you're going to take us away on this one. Yes, uh, House of X number five, which I've dubbed Gold Balls Resurrection. And <laughs> Allies. I was so uh, happy about that. So, we... we we, we um, start with a front cover where um, Apocalypse has lost his ball in a swamp. So he's just wandering around. <laughs> <having a> look. <laughs> um, I think it's lovely. It looks lovely, but he clearly has lost something in that swamp. Maybe his morality? I don't know. But... Well, we have like the reeds and stuff, and we know of Apocalypse's Egyptian heritage correlation. I don't know necessarily what he's looking for, but it almost has like a baby Moses vibe to it. Mm, interesting. Thanks. To me, it felt like like a forlorn uh, apocalypse. Like he's back in Krakoa for the first time in forever, and he's sort of tactilely feeling like trying to connect with the island as, as he's walking through. Yeah, it's a nice cover. What do you think, Ian? I think it looks lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know what to say about what he's doing. I can't tell if he's looking down trying to find something or if he's just like, why am I here again? (laughs) (laughs) But it looks beautiful. I love the sunlight. I love the little... The the shading hatching. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. Hatching along the top. It's a lovely cover for me. Yeah, it's great. Hi. So we start with Professor Xavier's quote. Uh, Do you want to know the real difference between them and us? Until now, we never, we were never given a chance. Which I think is a villainous quote. If you, if you've ever heard one. No, I'm joking. <laughs> right. So we have um, daughter and father sat together, and daughter ponders if humanity have any use. Uh, that's Magneto and Polaris. Um, you all already know the answer to that one. Well, it depends. <laughs> on what... Well, yeah. <laughs> I think it kind of answers it for itself. Um, and then we um, we have Storm and Xavier going into a chamber and the magical five, the fantastic five, the five best mutants dressed in the best way possible, all matching. Um, <laughs> I love the uniformity of their uniforms, even though uh, uh, Proteus is just all energy. Right. Um, no, it looks great. I love the uniforms. So, yeah, we have the... the 
the five young'uns uh, turn up, which is reminiscent to the five lights who yes. restarted the race. Oh, right, right. right. And also, yeah. who do we have here, Dan? So we have the best mutant of all time, Gold Balls. Um, with the best name, the best, the best name. <laughs> have, I, have I told you guys that in Japanese, gold balls like literally means testicles? Like that's the symbols for testicles is gold <laughs> and balls. So relevant, so relevant at the moment about right. what we're about to say. Yeah. So gold balls. Um, it was discovered that his golden balls that used to fire at people were actually um, infertile eggs. Which is the craziest power ever, but yeah. still makes him the best mutant ever. Um, and so he comes along and he slings out some of his golden egg balls. Um, from, uh, Proteus, who can warp reality, turns them from infertile to fertile, or viable, as they're using the term here. Um, we have Hope, who just injects them with the genetic material that's stored in their data bank, or the, the gene bank that they have that Sinister collected. I then love we have that, a, yeah, hypodermic needle has a sinister diamond on it. Oh yeah, it's awesome. And then we have um, one of my old favorite uh, underused characters, um, Elixir. Um, he's a mega level, and he biologically. Oh no! My pad just decided that I said Alexa. Oh no! I've said it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he's talking to me. So we have. Oh, I'll call him Josh Foley. That's his real name. Elixir. Yes, Elixir. She'll just answer me. Um, he he creates the um um the the genetic material. He he, he kickstarts its um uh gestation, and then we have um what is Eva's Avabel's is it Tempo uh, Tempest Tempest Tempest. Um, she uses her temple powers to um basically fast grow um fast grow a clone. Um, okay, and then. And then Hope uses her power to sync them all up, and everyone's super happy because we cut all the way back to Fox One and that opening sequence, and all the people crawling out of the pods. And Xavier's like, To me, my X Men I sent to their deaths. Um, <laughs> and everyone's happy. And then we find out everything. Like, Cerebro is even more sinister than you led to believe. It doesn't just Man, find you, yeah. it copies their consciousness. Which is terrifying, um, and then he um, gives these huskless. I love the fact that um, Cyclops, without a soul or without a memory, can control his power. Yeah, that's oh, what yeah, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And you wonder how much of that is, like, how much of the visor and those problems were were built by Xavier. Like, it, this series is real. I mean, we knew Xavier was a prick. But we're really starting to see some like potentially just wackadoodle, almost evil stuff going on with him. Um, it's it's crazy. Someone, and then we have a panel. Go on, sorry, go on, someone had uh, I forget online who I was talking to had had seen a preview for the Marauders book and was like, "Wait a second, Xavier just sent these guys off to die, like just like pawn pieces." What if the X-Men have always been like his marauders, like his fodder to use? And he's got like a whole other like group of people that he's like a part of and, and more interested in, in being with. Huh. Oh my. Wow. Yeah. But in, in mirroring things, we have a panel that mirrors the end of AVX, whereas Cyclops is on the floor covered in dust uh, rather than Xavier. Um, 
literally that's what it reminds me of that panel at the top there mm-hmm. um and so our mutants are, our mutants that went on the suicide mission are all fine and dandy even angel and husk if you forgot they were there and um storm goes outside and we witness the sort of resurrection ceremony uh, the cult of x perhaps yeah. um, we have this really interesting um very much uh sort of religious yes um chanting of a storm announcing uh one of their fallen brethren saying who they are and then asking the crowd and the crowd chant back with mutant and sister brother and it's a really nice sort of there's some really nice character moments where um like scott says to uh, storm i didn't know what a leader was like until i met you and they Gene's like, there's only one of me. And I'm like, this is where you have a personality in this one panel. And so far from so far. And I love, I love M's. You can tell Hickman loves Generation X because he puts so much emphasis on those, on M. M's one of his favorite characters, he said in an interview. And you can just tell because he actually has screen time. So, um, so everyone's happy. And... Xavier and Magneto are wowed at the fact that basically the trope of X-Men where they die and come back to life have now become an actual narrative plot point. Uh, the, Deus Ex Machina, the Deus Ex Machina is now a genuine Deus Ex Machina. There was, no, there was no fear of death. They have mastered and conquered death itself. The mutant race are immortal now. Um, and everyone's happy and it's all very creepy and people are just touching naked, naked people and it is definitely the start of one of those uh, culty horror movies um, and then we move on to the resurrection uh, a little bit of resurrection info on what everyone does actually handy if you didn't read the first part if you just wanted to click <laughs> now um, and it goes on for a while but yeah. thankfully, thankfully it does tell you some interesting things like no one's ever experimented putting themselves, putting someone else's personality into another person's body, which is hint, hint, telegraph, telegraph. Um, exactly. And then right. There's a lot of like, what if it goes wrong, uh, juju, which makes me feel like that's something that's going to happen. Then we yeah. move to best did, dress. Sorry, before we move on, I, I did, I did really like the Proteus, the Proteus problem, and the way they address that. Right. Just really, which is just as just he I just cycles how, like, through bodies, just like boom, 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 as his power <laughs> brings them out. I I love the idea that um the 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 ends justify the means here. Uh huh. Like with Cohen plan, like there is no longer a, a we no longer will coexist with them. We will just do what we need to do and whatever we need to do. Much like he said in Hotspot, do what you have to do. Yeah. Um, right. And so we we move to best dressed Frost as they are uh, at the UN UN finding out if they're going to be a viable uh, nation. And in true Emma style, she didn't leave anything up to chance and has uh, pushed and prodded a few people's brains um, to get the vote through. Xavier sort of would usually chastise her, but has a little bit of Phantom X um, dialoginess about him. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And as I like, I actually quite like the fact that you've been a little bit naughty. And I was like, oh, it feels very... The way he dresses here also reminds me of... Because um, um, Ian doesn't know that Xavier was dead. And he, he put his consciousness inside another character called Phantom X. Um, oh. and, so, and that's the body he's in now. Um, oh. He's not even called Xavier. He calls himself X, but no one's mentioned that yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I want to say that, like... 
Beast looks awesome in these panels as well. Like I just love, I love a well dressed Beast. Yeah, <laughs> um, he just looks really good. Oh, Danny, talk about comics or something else there. Oh well, both. Um, hey. <laughs> pred- predictably, uh, in the mutant diplomacy, Latveria does not want anything to do with them, and Wakanda will only do stuff with themselves. I enjoyed that. Um, so they're like, yeah, we're fine. Uh, but everyone else is uh, conceded to the to the mutant. And the fact that Wakanda basically protects all of Africa. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Typical word. And then you get a map of where, where the people, where certain people don't want to trade with the mutants and the rest of the world is going to. And then um, we move over to the final reveal, which is Wolverine stood there on guard in front of a Krakoan teleporter. And um, who should walk through? The Sinister and um, is that random? I don't want to name them all. Villains, lots bad of bad guys, right? Yeah, bad guys. Even Gorgon, which was invented by Hickman, if no one knew the samurai dude, that samurai yeah. dude there. I'm down for that. Um, and then the lastly, the first mutant himself, Krakoa. Krakoa, <laughs> who is the first mutant actually, and Sabine, um, Apocalypse, and uh, Krakoa welcomes him with doves and love, and Wolverine does the. Are we going to have a problem? He's like, no, I've always wanted this, so we're not going to have a problem. And he speaks for the villains, essentially. And we end with a handshake between two diametrically opposed ideologies showing some... Maybe. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When one is dead, the other rules the planet, apparently, if you uh, think of it. For sure. (laughs) So, um, in an issue which... A lot of people said it's slow and not much happens. I feel like it, it's a red issue, which means fundamental change. And I think people focus too much on the handshake and not so much on everything else. Right. Yeah. People just like, oh, they just brought, that's how they brought them back. Sinister. I was like, no, they've literally rewrote. Hickman right. has literally rewritten and written into the story now that the X-Men always come back. Like they are, to be fair, they are the they are the superheroes that always die and come back like every five minutes. It's not even a joke. That literally, literally, <laughs> literally what happens. Right, right. And but people are so bothered and upset that Xavier himself is no longer going for unity. He is going for unity, but with all of mutant kind. Well, there's no wheelchair, so it's not the same Xavier. Well, there you go then. All right, then. <laughs> that, that explains everything. I don't need to talk anymore. I I love some of the choices of villains that they had pop through. Like, uh, and I love that as as the lines come through the portals, the 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 leader is in like full color, but everyone behind is still like bathed in the glow of the portal. So we've got like sinister, like in full color, and we've got um, oh shoot, I just had his name on the tip of my tongue, Fabian Cortez. Yeah, yeah, Exodus is like full garb there and. We've got um M plate. M plates back there, yeah. <laughs> We've got a is member Is that Sebastian Shaw in the background? Yes, exactly. Sebastian Shaw. We've got the, uh, the, this, the um... leader of the Marauders in there. We've got like all kinds of like iconic and also kind of like B villains. It's a, an eclectic choice of people he chose to highlight in the artwork here. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, what what I talked a lot. What did what's everyone think? Um, I think what's happened. <laughs> and I it's... found it really interesting. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ian. No, no, go ahead. No, no, you go. No, you no. go first. Yeah, Ian goes. He's got first. a list of things to say. He's got a list of things to say. It's not. Nah, we've covered most of it anyway. Gone. <laughs> uh, 
You make me read things. This is why I get confused. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Dysfunctional family. <laughs> well, you replace the blowtorch with constant pressure now. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of stuff happened, and the fact that the mutant mutants X Men are just resurrected blew my mind because I was like, "What the heck is happening here?" And why? Why couldn't they just die? I love them, but why couldn't they just die and actually have some stakes? <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I think it's it's Hickman acknowledging the fact that comics are an eternal cycle and that what we are reading is a sort of he, his toys are going to have to go back from the shelf at some point um as he would put it and what he's just done is just cut out the middleman and gone fuck it they're immortal um right. and if it blows back on them it blows back on them because it can a lot that information in all of that text there's a lot that could go wrong yes. and it adds more layers to it like is this really of xavier Mm. Is this really Gene? Is this really any of them? Right. Who knows? Maybe Gene's yeah. Madeline, and therefore that's why she was so crap on the mission. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the sinister secrets did me- like like mention Madeline, basically. Yeah. Yep. And no one ever usually wants to touch that that character or, or anything mm. <laughs> after Claremont. Not even the tip. Hey! Hey! And a callback. (laughs) I want to say I love the religious ceremony. I love how theatrical it was. I love that they had Storm, like, leading it all. Mm. It's it's like like from the pulpit of the church. I enjoyed the little character moments between all of them. I thought it was fantastic. I'm not saying I approve of it morally, but as a scene, it was spectacular. I yeah. I agree. I'm not sure if I like. All right. So one of the things we we've talked about over and over again since Hawks Fox has started is Hickman nailing voices. Um, you know the characters feel like themselves. While I appreciate that Storm would move into like the regal almost ambassador type role. I don't know if we've seen enough of her story in here to see where she would land in this place of mutant supremacy. Um, that's the only part that maybe strikes me as a little bit off with her voice is that we haven't seen how she got here. Um, and maybe someone else could have been more of the this is how things are, let's do it, go, be the cheerleader kind of person you could argue that because we've now witnessed that it is cyclops's everything that xavier done to cyclops is the reason he is the man who he is we could argue that and sinister uses the word brainwashing right Mm -hmm. argue that he is pushing everyone's minds right because the more the more it's the more we keep going and the less he's featured in all of the dawn of x books the more i'm thinking is he the next big villain Ah, right. Maybe, maybe he's maybe. I mean, I know we kind of joked about it being a cult, but maybe he is kind of erasing people's willpower to kind of stand up against him. Oh, it could be Cassandra Nova. <gasps> well, right, right, or and just 
Well, no, it doesn't quite work. There's a little bit, the skin, the suit's a little too skin tight. There's a part of me, just based on body language, that wondered if Moira was under that helmet somehow. But I don't know. I don't don't think it works. Moira could be under the helmet, placed inside Xavier's body. Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay, interesting. I have a question about Sinister. Yep. Okay. Can he basically leave, as lack of better words, programs in someone's head? Because um, he's making the clones, yada yada. He he has sort of programmed people, bef- like sleeper agents. You mean? Yeah. I think he has before. I don't. I don't... They do what he wants. Usually. <laughs> right. And yeah. if he and if one of his secrets is that he's been in on this the whole time. Could he corrupt select, I guess, data sets since he's kind of the custodian of them? And yeah, I think it's an interesting question, Ian, and a very can really play into like Sinister being a bad guy kind of in top form again for the next couple of years. You know, kind of one off stories of, of things he did, not only in him being culpable with whatever. Xavier's plan is, but the plans of his own behind those plans. I, I mean, I think we know he's got them, so he's got to see what they are and what kind of level of deception he's going to use and stuff like that. Sure. So no, I think you, you, I think you are predicting some future stories there. <laughs> there, there was some in in the history uh, text of of one of these POX issues. They talked about how Sinister had betrayed them, and there was something he had hidden. He tried to change sides, blah 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 blah. Oh like yeah, vaguely. that's right. That's so right. yeah, there, there will be something coming with Sinister for sure. I look forward to finding out. Yeah. I I also want to bring up. I love that Hickman is pulling these other characters that, like recent characters that I think were kind of like fan favorites for a moment, and then once writers left, were like instantly shelved. So, like, Gold Balls coming back is great. We had Trinary in the previous issue uh, from the, the Red. And I think Tempest, uh-huh. was Tempest also from Bendis' run at the time? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So to say, like, oh, these characters are still around. They have a purpose. I'm going to show you how they can be interesting. Uh, and I, I just love seeing them appear. Yeah. It's also interesting that the five of them are now, like, bizarrely super linked. Right. Well... Like sort of leave each other, reminiscent of. Yeah. Does anyone remember Age of X? A little like Mike Carey, um, sort of crossover event with New Mutants, where it was in a different reality that Legion had created. Oh right, and right, right. It was like five psychics that never left their side, each other's side. Oh right, right, right. A little bit of that as well. Sure. I just feel like he's pulling from a lot of corners of the X canon to like forge something new. I think my last comment on this is more thematical in that Dan's touched on it and Jason, you kind of brought it up, was the change and shift of what Xavier's doing and by proxy what, what uh, Magneto's doing here. And that people are upset Xavier is not trying to integrate, but we've had so many integrate humans and mutants, but we've had like you know, decades of this not working. At what point does Xavier go, look, 
they keep pulling us down. I we need to like unify and give ourselves a chance. And I like that this shift has happened, and that it could seem like being superior to humans, but it also could be like if y'all are, are going to keep trying to kill us, then we're not going to associate with you anymore. We don't need to see what we can do when we band together on our own, which I feel like can also be that minority uh, like rallying point. Uh, I, for, for example, I, I know less about it than than two of the people on this podcast, but I know the gay community has things that they want to do just together or tonight is the the gay night at this bar and you're welcome to come, but this is what we're focused on. Or the black community, the Asian community has their own hubs that where you're maybe not like not allowed to join, but this is what we're focusing on and sort of lifting ourselves up. So I I kind of appreciated it approaching it from, from that point of view. Maybe you guys can correct me or speak in in depth a little bit more. I hate using the word ghetto or ghetto rising, right. but the, the the majority of people at one point in history have always ghettoized the minorities. And then we, much like people reclaim certain words, we reclaim the concept of being in a ghetto and making communities for ourselves, where we would make our own culture, our own stands, be it uh, LGBT, be it black, be it Hispanic, you know, they all have a place in the world just that's fortified from the outside mainstream. Right. And that literally feeds into what Hickman's doing here. I've seen a lot of chat online that because it moves it away from the integration storyline, it moves it away from mutants being an allegory for minorities, whereas I feel that's not true. It's just a different... It's mod, It's more of a modern... Right. Yeah, of, of how a minority would work. And yes, okay, he's just made friends with... A mass genocidal murderer, but his best mates a mass genocidal murderer. <laughs> like, I've seen a lot of people complain that Apocalypse is on their side now, and I'm like, have you seen half? Like, let's just focus on the uh, two panels that um, Jason loved. We have Nightcrawler being a hero, knocking people out. We have Wolverine being a mass murderer, slaughtering everyone and leaving a room. Like, I, I the X Men are not filled with angels; they're mostly filled with devils. Right. <clears throat> Um, but I think, and I think maybe the difference, and and definitely continue on with the kind of the allegorical aspect after this, if we want to, because I think it's really interesting. But um, I think maybe some of the difference is not from a reader standpoint. Like to me, yeah, what, what Xavier doing this new direction, maybe changing, pivoting a little bit, makes sense. Bringing bad guys in, quote unquote, and offering the olive branch makes sense. I think the fact that no one, I mean, I, I actually enjoyed and I think it gave validity to the whole scene that Wolverine was like, you know, ready to pop his claws when they came through the gate. Like, like okay, Xavier, I'm going to try this, but this goes wrong and I think it probably will. Like, I'm ready to snick like all these fools. And, um, <laughs> and Mag- even Magneto was like very cautious about it. I think those voices are important. I think yeah. where where it might make sense that Xavier for good or bad reasons, whether he has sinister motives and is going to be the next villain or whether he's just trying to do something different. I can see him still like saying, okay, apocalypse come home. I think we're maybe, maybe what we're missing is maybe storm going, Oh wait, I don't trust you. Or, you know, kind of that voice of dissent 
And so I think we got it a little bit with Wolverine and Magneto. I think maybe not getting that voice of descent from our more, you know, as Dan alluded to, Wolverine and Magneto, not necessarily our icons of of shining white knights, even with the new costume um, in uh-huh. X-Men lore. You know, so I think maybe missing that dissenting voice from like a Storm or a Nightcrawler, I think maybe that would give kind of extra stuff reality, Storm- but... Storm and Nightcrawler are zealots um, who pray to the altar of Xavier with all of his dreams. Dream. <laughs> so maybe they'll follow him even here. Possibly. Because um, he sh- he's doing a gene in X-Men Red. He's showing people psychically what he wants to achieve. Right. Right. And we have no idea what they are being shown. That's true. That's true. How he's altering. I'm not saying he's all in the minds, but it is Xavier. Right. And he is. So possibly on the other note though it is beautiful the book yes. is strong oh, yeah and I mean... the costuming is just i just i love it I, I think everyone looks amazing and how imposing apocalypse is. i forget sometimes that he's really big in in like that sort of he's supposed to be really big and hulking and like a powerful presence on the page mm-hmm. sometimes people just make him weird looking and um, I, just, I just thought everyone looks stunning, and the color work is just beyond. Krakoa just looks like a lovely place to visit for a holiday. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. yeah, maybe Xavier should open up uh, some B and Bs on there, and just because <laughs> yeah, aren't they on the moon? Yeah. Uh, well, one of them, one of the areas is on the moon. On the moon. We haven't gone to Mars yet. Hickman's huh. favorite place. <laughs> Okay. I mean, there's so much in this issue. We could go on and on and on. I feel like just this one issue. I know it blows my mind that people say this is a slow issue and not much happens. I was like, <laughs> I, you know, I was like, did, no. did you just look at the cover? Right. I mean, well, nothing, nothing, no action happens, but everything happens in this issue. There's, there's two pages that we already saw before. It's, it's filler. <laughs> <laughs> Context is king. That's all. I'm yeah. Saying. Right. Yeah. I didn't quite enjoy that though when it was the callback, but I say callback, literally using the pages. Yeah, the fact that it's, it, we're seeing the, the future at the beginning. Yeah, right. It's nice. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. Even if it does completely uh, make my last flashback episode worthless. <laughs> I was like, oh, I found it. I found like the Krokroan pods, and that's what we saw. And then no, it's gold balls. <laughs> I did. You did uh, tag us in that when you posted on Twitter. I was like, oh my god. And there was like right. the son of Krokoa on there as well. It's like, what uh-huh. is going to happen? <laughs> you, you never, you never know. There may still be Krokoan pods somewhere, just not. True. True. But actually, the gold ball thing is pretty brilliant. Um, taking that kind of benign, humorous power and, and giving it, uh, like, basically control of the future of mutant kind is is definitely a, a take. For sure. Okay, well... With how our power is so basic, yet when you get deeper, it can be so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um. Where's Kitty? Oh, she's a pirate at the moment, isn't she? 
Wait, what? She's about to become a pirate on the whole thing. Yeah, but what is she? Well, right, right, in the new, in the upcoming books, but she's been... Well, we haven't seen a a number of mutants, like Jubilee, Kitty... Oh, true, yeah. We don't care about them. Firestar, like a whole... Where is everybody? Right, In pods. Everyone's in a pod. They're actually pod people. (laughs) Right, right. Get hatched. They get hatched for every issue number one that's launched. (laughs) Okay, so if we're cloning Husk, do when and we're replacing people with the die, and I like the fact that they, they did the article about how to, their deaths have to be verified. So characters that are already clones, do we resurrect the clones? <laughs> like I wonder what Xavier's like philosophy or master plan is going to be around that. I wonder if that's why um, Laura, Baby Cable, and uh, Kuana um, break free. Because mm. that's the concept of their book. That right. They, sort of don't, they don't trust. Right. And maybe they don't feel like they have a place left. That that can give some really interesting kind of uh, weight to that book. Mm, definitely. Who is who is writing that book? Brian Hill. Okay. Yeah. Who can be really good. Um, mm-hmm. His Luke, his Luke Cage and Power, Iron Man and Power Fist is like still one of the greatest ones. That's him. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I have high hopes then. Cool. Well, if, let's uh, before we get too far. Um, Jeez. How are we giving? Uh, how are we going to give Hawks five? Six out of I'm six going, for me. Six out of six. I'm, I'm going to go six out of six because it was. It feels like a historical artifact, like in about ten years' time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time capsule. This bad boy. Yeah, I'm six out of six as well. What about you, Ian? I will have to agree because, much like Dan just said, it feels like a benchmark, and it'll be something remembered, much like red. Yes, I love red. Yes, very cool. Well, I'm I'm super happy. I know. We the three of us having done this longer tend to to overtalk oh. sometimes, but um, but Ian, I'm I'm very ecstatic that you've been really enjoying these books. Um, that, that makes yeah. me happy. The each issue I read, I'm more thankful that uh, I was convinced by by a blowtorch to keep reading them. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's it like? We have gone on for like an hour and a half about three issues. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that kind of what we always do? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> what I mean is, like, when we read Uncanny, it was like a lot of, oh, I can't believe how terrible it was. It was a lot of it was like tangentially related to what the issue was about. But this was like full on context, like deep dive into what's happening on the page. Like, this is right. It feels like a, an in depth, like heavy conversation. Whereas Uncanny was like, I can't believe we're still doing this. Right. Slip my wrists. I need to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, one thing I will say before we finish the issue is that I don't think Emma trusts Xavier. Nor should she. No, I look, <laughs> I look forward to her being continuing to find ways to be on the outside of we haven't seen of, her. Yeah, inner, the inner <laughs> circle. Yeah, I suppose someone that messes with minds themselves would know just how deep they can go. With well, it. he mentions that you can see the scars. 
Ah, uh, yeah. All of the scars, the, the, the effort it takes. Right. Push mines. Yeah. Very cool. Very interesting. All, All right. right. That was awesome. Well, yeah, that was great. And I think we, uh, yep. All right. I'm getting, I'm getting the sign that we have an accident. So I may need to help clean up a little bit. Um, okay. <laughs> but I'm no, sorry. But, but guys, right. It was me. It was, <laughs> it wasn't my three year old. It was, I just shat the bed. Um, <laughs> train, train spotting style. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> just wrap it up, throw it out the window. Um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> anyway um guys again just a blast um you know i will say whether it's horrible uncanny books or great huxbox books nonetheless the episodes are always great i really appreciate you guys coming on so because i know that a people probably already are but just in case i'm gonna want to hear more of you guys so where can they do that i assume it's me doing it so uh... <laughs> So, as uh, always, yeah. Yes, you can go and see us on Twitter at Excalibur One, uh, where you can talk to us about anything from Hox Pox to whatever X related food you ate the last day. <laughs> I don't know if it's but there you go. Um, you can find us on Podbean, um, just like you can find this podcast on Podbean, but instead of forward slash Snipcash, but forward slash Excalibros. And there we will be. And we're on iTunes and everywhere else. And if you want to, like, personally, hell abuse. Uh, at us um good luck because i'm not giving you my twitter <laughs> <laughs> i also want to mention that with the new x titles coming out uh we'll have an issue out probably this week but uh next month we're probably covering the new excalibur and new mutants uh issues that come out as well so if you're interested in our takes on those please check out that show yeah and i'm trying to schedule things so we're not making you double dip too much oh it, it actually yeah. kind of works out better i think Okay. <laughs> I know maybe Dan cool. hates it, but I am alright with I it. I love it. I want it. I want a massive bumper episode, which is on for five hours, and then I want an hour per book, <laughs> and then we'll we'll do alternate twenty-hour episodes. Obviously. Right. <laughs> uh, if people um, provide enough on the Patreon, you can put subjects for Excalibur, right? Yes. Yeah. How much do they have to pay for George to be static for the entire episode? Nothing. Just ask yeah, him. that's that's <laughs> free. That's free, baby. That's the fault setting. <laughs> that's the right. name. Awesome. Ian, anything in particular you would like to plug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, pretty much anything I use with the same handle, which is SSJ Bakula. Very okay. cool. All right, and of course, for the podcast that goes nicked, uh, you can like the Facebook page, um, and Twitter is at Snickcast. Um, I think that's about it. So uh, we will probably, I have a couple of out-of-town trips coming up, so we probably won't get together again until this is all done. But yeah. um, we will definitely send it out with a bang, because I expect a lot to happen in these last three issues. Right. So. Um, yeah, so more to come on that, but we'll definitely, definitely get the uh, the Hawks Pox crew back together soon, and uh, go from there and get ready to figure out all the new books we're going to talk about. So, I guess until next time, hugs and snicks, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. And snacked. <laughs>